0: Welcome. This is jazz, just the way we like it. My name is Alfonso Saveros, and this is my weekly jazz podcast, recorded live at Brick Arts in downtown Brooklyn, the People's Republic of Brooklyn. Jazz, just the way we like it, we play those classic jazz songs of the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s. Those songs I grew up on and listened to as a young man. And here I am now playing them for your pleasure and introduce and to introduce a younger generation to that fabulous original American art form known as jazz. We also discussed social issues and tried to give a perspective from two old baby boomers. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm in the studio uh, with my good friend and co-host. We go back over 60 years. Lawrence Williams. Hey, what's up there, good buddy? How you doing, man? What's happening? I'm good, man. Every time I say I go back over 60 years, man, it makes me feel older than what I am. <laughs> yeah. I
1: know how that is. I know exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. in the same place.
0: Yeah. We go back a long time. Uh but uh, we're fortunate to have uh, been around this long and uh, I guess even more fortunate to be able to do podcasts and talk about jazz and talk about social issues.
1: Yeah, that's a, a good thing, it's a yeah. good
0: thing. Yeah, well you know folks, we always start the podcast off with a song that addresses social issues that speak to the human situation, social justice, either a song, a poem, something that keeps us in tune with our humanity. And here's a piece from way back when by a group called War, and they did a song called The World is a Ghetto. Wow, you may say, wow, what is that? The World is a Ghetto? But it was a song in which they were trying to address the issue of minority groups in America and the issue of the cycle of poverty, how people got trapped into poverty and unable to escape and live in the inner city ghettos until the day they die. And this was done in 1942. And they were a very active group war. They spoke up against racism, hunger, crime, turf wars. And they embraced all people with hope and the spirit of brotherhood. So here's a song uh, done by war. The world is a ghetto. War, and the song is The World is a Ghetto, released in 1972, addressing the issue of the cycle of poverty with minority groups. Larry, I know you remember that piece.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I, um, war was such a uh, powerful group back then with uh, with their songs, and I was just uh, listening now once again to this uh, particular song, and... I was just thinking about back then the, the studio musicians were, even if they didn't have a name, they really knew how to play and it really, you know, uh, a studio produced uh, recording usually came out really well. I like the way that uh, the organ was in this this particular piece and and sax, everything just mess, you know, mess together like fine tune and, 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 you know, Related to the world being a ghetto uh, to everyone, you know. And, and, and back in 19, in the seventies, man, that was something else. That was my my uh, my youngest daughter uh, Angela was two years old when that came out, and uh, so it was it was poignant to me that yeah. hearing that again. I think fig- I forget what the album that was on. That
0: was on the uh, the world is a ghetto album. Oh, okay, okay, okay. They they put out a few albums. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they were very popular. Uh, war, okay, man. did you know somebody we, else
1: do something with uh, with the, the, the using the term ghetto? But it was more of a dance type of thing. But I can't remember. A oh, number of songs yeah. used that.
0: Yeah. Uh, there was one song, Danny Hathaway, that that used the term ghetto. Yeah. You know, I don't particularly like that use of that term because it has a reference to the. Uh, enclosed Jewish community in yeah. Poland doing Warsaw during World War Two. Right. You know. But I like it better than the term that young people use today, hood. You know, <laughs> that has all but nothing but negative connotations. And uh, you know, uh, it was I've heard blacks say that they don't I never live in a hood. I grew up in a neighborhood. And there's a big difference in the connotation between describing the area that you grew up as a hood as opposed to a neighborhood. A neighborhood, there's elements of empathy, there's elements of concern, and there's elements of community. A hood uh, uh, refers to gangster, criminal. Uh, Yeah, I uh, agree.
1: I I mean, I think the most important thing out of what, what you just said was that, Neighborhood refers to community, and which is like when we grew up in the Marcy, you know, it was a neighborhood. I mean, even though, you know, it was territorial, it was a neighborhood because people within the Marcy took care of people within the Marcy.
0: Yeah, and you know, you got to be careful with the words because the words, uh, it it formulates concepts, and concepts shapes your thinking and your behavior. You know, you, you, you think with what you know, yeah. What you put in memory, that's what you use to think about whatever it is you're going to think about. And if you're, you're putting things that have negative connotations, then that's that's how you're going to think about things. So, you know, uh, how we describe ourselves, that's the whole thing in terms of positive self-identity and negative self-identity. Uh, but that's a whole nother topic. But what I do want to talk about is that these days, man, well, let me say it like this. 16-year-old, 16-year-old birthday party in Alabama, what, four killed, 28 shot, killed a girl upstate New York because she made a wrong turn on a person's property. They shot her. They killed a cheerleader, I think it was in Texas, who went to get in the car but went to the wrong car then went back to her correct car and the guy followed her over and shot and killed her and, and shot some other people. Young boy in the uh, Midwest was going to pick up his brothers knocked on the wrong door and shot and killed. This is crazy. This is issues of gun violence. This is issues of America. This is issues of mental health. Uh, Larry, what's going on, brother?
1: Man, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I I don't know if the the news media is focusing more on this. I don't think that this is something new. Uh, But I think that uh, because we are uh, trying to uh, change the, the gun laws, uh, anything that has to do with um, um, a shooting that that's senseless is coming out more. Um, especially <clears throat> when it came to black people, it wasn't like nationally known about all these kind of things that would happen to black folks.
0: Yeah, but Ever the been. the data, Larry, the data. Uh, gun gun shooting is now the leading cause of death among teenagers right that's not emphasizing something that never existed okay that's that's just more more teens die of, of gun violence than anything else in this country this year all right more americans were killed by guns in just the four or five months of this year, than in the twenty years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan, over twelve thousand seven hundred gun you... violence is at a major epidemic.
1: Yeah, twelve yeah, thousand. Yeah, nationwide. <sighs> I didn't realize that.
0: Yes, yes. Now, and is this whole issue of assault weapons. Nine states, only nine states ban assault weapons, uh, the assault style weapons. And you, you think about this there's only three countries in the whole world that grant constitutional rights of its citizens to bear arms. Only three United States, Mexico, and Guatemala. That's the only three countries in the world. The right to bear arms. And our right to bear arms come back from the 1700s. That was, you know, the Constitution uh, that was really put together by a lot of slave owners. Those very flawed people who we somehow put on the pedestal. Uh, But anyway... You look at this man, you know, I look at it as a symptom of a greater problem. You know, and and historians look at how empires decline. And there's certain things that that symptoms that occur, factors that occur, and we know the American century is coming to an end. Uh 20 years China would be the number one economy in the world. So the American century as, as the major player is coming to an end. We look at the way international affairs is going. The American influence is slowly dwindling around the world, especially in places like South America and Africa and Asia. Uh, but we see some factors that's been in the decline of the Roman Empire, the Roman the Chinese Empire, the, the, Roman, the decline of other empires. And some of the factors was not only the violence, this gun violence kind of thing, and even when it wasn't guns, the high level of violence, concentration of wealth. We have that whole thing. 1% owns over 40% of the wealth of this nation. Uh, inflation at a 40-year high. Uh, and these are things that will help lead towards the decline of the Roman Empire and other empires. These are, you know, c- currency debasement. I know when I first went to Europe, the dollar was king. The last time I went with students and, you know, uh, traveling abroad, man, I watched the, the, the equivalent of the dollar to the euro. All of a sudden, the euro was worth dollar uh, twenty five. Where before, it was like 90 cents, 80-something cents. Uh, and these, these empires that fell, there was an unclear secession system. We're seeing people challenging the presidential election, challenging the secession system. The army, diminishing returns in armies of these empires that fell. We see it here. The American army has not been successful since World War II. Uh climate change, social disorder, inequality, decline in the value of life, declining infrastructure, and this outrageous issues of mental health and gun violence. It is so common. It's more than just the media, you know, when it becomes the leading cause of death of a of a population group. Uh
1: I see that now. Yeah, I I wasn't familiar with all the statistics, and and, and uh, that that changes my 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 uh, train of thought in terms of what's going on. Um, yeah, I you know, and this a lot of that stuff can be corrected, uh, but you have to have a willingness to correct it. Um, the people, the one percent, are not going to give up their wealth very easily, which. You know, they work for it. I, I don't, you know, necessarily fault them for... Not
0: for necessarily so. You know, because you pay income tax based on your... And you know, you're a businessman. You pay income tax based on your salary. Why is it that someone who gets income from capital gain pays half the income tax than you? Okay. It's a rigged really unfair system. Okay. So it's built into it. And it was... Designed by the people who makes their income from capital gain. Yeah, no, I, I th- yes. that part is the yeah. So it ain't so much they worked for everything. Yeah, they designed it so they can get everything.
1: Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. but they came up with the idea.
0: <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. So, uh.
1: I mean, the only way to change that is like to change the laws, and that that I mean, there's a number. There's, I mean the population out uh, could outvote them uh, but I think that once again uh, because of the money influence maybe they can't, I don't know that's
0: that's, that's the the, the mindset of of a good portion of the population and that's the reason for a lot of the decline and it will continue because they're not going to address the issue of violence they're not going to address all these issues that's in front of us you know Uh, we can teach kids to deal with conflict differently as part of the curriculum in school. It's a whole area. We know all about this issue of emotional intelligence, teaching children how to work with and control and deal with their emotions, recognizing their emotions, knowing how to recognize the emotions in other people and how to respond appropriately. But we don't touch it. We don't touch it. So we have all these other things feeding them, like media, like negative images, you know, and they're taught, you know, someone hits you, you hit back, and the violence escalates. So it's not that we don't know the answers. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not a pretty picture. No, not, no, 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 it's not a pretty picture at all. All these shootings, though. And, and, you know, it's black-on-black it's black crime, white-on-black crime, black-on-white crime. It no longer is the killings and the violence is not just limited to any ethnic group. It's across the board, and it's mainly young people. And you cannot wipe out your own younger generation and expect a society to go on and be successful. And what people are not looking at is all these instances, there's all these other people who, young kids who are traumatized. You've got kids who are traumatized to go to school. Yeah. Now, how are we going to compete as a nation if they're doing drills on shooting in schools as opposed to drills in mathematics? Good point. Yeah. You know, you you don't have that in China and across the world. Yeah.
1: Did you see that uh thing about these three people, I think it was Michigan or Kentucky, I forget which one, uh, saying that they wish it was like uh the old days where they could uh hang hang black folks. Uh and this is somebody who is uh, a police officer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know.
1: That is the wildest thing I've, the wildest thing I've ever yeah.
0: heard. Well, the thing of it is is that you know this this racism, the country has been built on racism and for a while we sort of like closed an eye to it. Some people did and people kept it below the surface. But I but in my opinion, the biggest thing of the Donald Trumps and the mega movement is that it allowed it to surface. When they had that march in Virginia, And they said, Jews will not, whatever it was, uh, uh, replace us. Man, that was similar to Nazi Germany. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was like crazy. Yeah. This is the 21st century. What are we talking about here? And it's not happening all around the world. It's happening here. Yeah. You know, it's crumbling from within. If not, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to fall apart, but I'm saying, you know, it's coming off the pedestal. Larry, I'm and rambling on my mouth, man. Uh-huh. I, I, I need, we need to move on, man. Okay. Let's okay, get let's to go. some jazz, man. You know, today's show is kind of different. It's about popular songs, jazz versions of popular songs. And there are so many jazz versions of popular songs, folks. So it was hard to pick out a few. And here's one by the Ensemble of Chicago. These oh. brothers very creative. Oh boy! They they are they are an amazing group because they they use all these different instruments and all these different objects that make sounds as instruments, noise makers, chimes, bicycle horns, you name it. They incorporate it in a very creative way. And this is uh, a recording they did in 1969 of the Bob Marley song, No Woman Don't Cry by the uh, Ensemble, Art Ensemble of Chicago. Listen to them and enjoy. Uh, Art Ensemble of Chicago, No Woman, Don't Cry. That's an experimental, a free jazz group in the nineteen sixties, and they use all kinds of instruments. And you can hear it in this piece. They also painted their faces and wore costumes. They were true performers. They grew out. They, they grew out of a an association of the uh, advancement of creative musicians, which is a group in Chicago. Larry. Yeah, man,
1: um, the Art Ensemble of Chicago, man, was so creative, so um, uh, improvisal. I I mean, they, you know, they improvised with with the instruments, the the sound, the unique sounds that used to come out with them, uh, uh, the notes that they used to play, and and this right here is like, you know, relatively calm for them, you know. Considering what they what they were doing back then, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of this stuff was, uh, you know, along the uh, lines of of Sun Ra, in terms of the, they were similar groups, um, and maybe even Don. I think Don Cherry was part of of the Art Ensemble of Chicago at one point or another, but I'm not really sure the trumpet player, um, and he might have been playing trumpet on that, but no, it wasn't him. Um,
0: Yes, Mitchell. This guy Mitchell. Who oh, was right. okay. Yeah.
1: But uh, anyway, I, I just, I just found when I closed my eyes, I could, I could see what they were doing, and I could, you know, I, I, I could see exactly what they were doing, and it really sounded. It sounded good to me. It sounded really yeah, good. It was excellent.
0: Yeah. You can hear the different sounds from yeah. bells, to charms. Yeah. There was a number. Of, maybe 15, 20 different sounds yeah. in the song outside of their regular instrument.
1: Right, right. But it all made sense. It all- It fit in. It fit in, exactly. It was yeah. incorporated yeah. in well. Wow.
0: What, what made this a little different, I know what you're talking about, is that they kept that bass line for uh, No Woman Don't Cry. But they improvised all around it. They jumped yeah. in between, back and forth, underneath. They uh, they played with it, yes, in, in yeah. a way that that it went along with the tempo of the song. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's that was the best way to put that.
0: Yeah, folks. So we're doing jazz versions of popular songs, and when you talk about jazz versions of popular songs, man, we got to talk about this because this in some in some circles considered the best jazz version of a popular song and of course that's the man John Coltrane and my favorite thing which was the, you know the song from the musical The Sound of Music uh, is John Coltrane on soprano I think this is his first album in which he played soprano sax and the soprano sax was a gift from Miles Davis to him McCoy Tyner on piano but no Jimmy Garrison on this. Steve Davis is on bass with Elvin Jones. So sit back and enjoy John Coltrane version of my favorite thing. John Coltrane, the 1961 version uh, recording of My Favorite Thing. That song is important in the history of jazz for a number of reasons, because it popularized the use of a soprano sax. Before this uh, recording, soprano sax was not used much in jazz. And in fact, John Coltrane on this this album played one, one side with the soprano sax, the other side with Uh, the tenor sax. So he reintroduced and popularized the use of soprano sax and jazz and we know what happened after that. So many soprano sax players. Uh, And the other thing about this album is, is that this album along with Miles Davis' So What are considered two of the albums that played a significant role in the move from bebop to modern jazz. Made that turn. Larry?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the soprano sax was re- revolutionary in terms of what uh, John did, but man, he played the hell out of that uh, uh, soprano sax. I uh, when I when I first saw uh, the instrument, I, I was reminded of uh, a clarinet, but a clarinet is a woodwind, and 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 and. and, and uh, is made out of a, probably like a hard type of wood, and that's a different sound. Same, almost the same size, almost made a little bit differently, but it is such a different sound, especially with a virtuoso like uh, John Coltrane the way that he plays it. And this particular cut, oh man, this was like, wow! It's I gold, mean, brother. Yeah, it's gold. yeah, yeah. There's nothing that can compare to it, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, when you think of popular music and, and uh, how a jazz musician can interpret that. That it's, song, yeah. It, wow, it was just beautiful.
0: Yeah. Uh, and this was recorded in 1961, man, and a uh, powerful song, man, very, very powerful. It would have been yeah. a junior year in high school. No, you weren't a junior in 61. You graduated in 64.
1: Oh, so I would have been a <laughs> sophomore. <laughs>
0: That's okay, <laughs> folks. It's hard when you get up that <laughs> age, you know. <laughs> Memories. I, to, to, to I know <laughs>
1: yeah. it's sixty-three. I was at uh, What was that for Yeah, you graduated yeah. sixty-four. That's right, I graduated sixty-four. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh,
0: right. Um, Sixty-one. You just going to high school? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's right. Right. All right. Uh, let's keep moving, man. We may go a little longer because there's quite a few songs I want to play. And, you know, when you talk about popular uh, jazz versions of popular songs, man, we gotta we got got include some singing, some, some, you know, singers. And here's one, man, the divine one. And I really like her recording of this. Uh, Sarah Vaughn, Sarah Vaughn, uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So-
2: in a lullaby
0: That's Sarah Vaughn in the 1958 recording, man, which is clear, is the clarity of her voice plus the range, the divine one. Sarah Vaughn. Larry.
1: Yeah, that was beautiful. She got such a sultry voice. It's and like you said, the range. Like she goes, she gets that high note.
0: Oh my goodness, it is so beautiful. You can listen to her all day. Yeah. Uh, it is that time, folks, but we're not stopping. We're going to keep going on and finish this playlist. So uh, sorry. let's get on with the next popular song that has a jazz version. And we're going to go to Dexter Gordon. And he took that song that Ray Charles did, Georgia On My Mind. And man, what he did with it. This is Dexter Gordon, tenor saxophone player. And uh, a recording, Georgia On My Mind. Dexter Gordon on tenor sax, along with uh, Barry Harris on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Al Forster on drums. Uh, Dexter Gordon was known for that bebop hard bop style, but he was very mellow on this. Uh, and it's amazing. This guy was 6'5", and can play that metal sax. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize he was that tall, my yeah. God. Yeah. you know, he played a lot in Europe. He stayed in Europe, and uh-huh. Denmark, uh-huh. and the Scandinavian countries, you know. Uh
1: They probably loved him over there. Oh, yeah.
0: He was very popular. Yeah. Uh, You know, he was also, I think we mentioned it before, he was uh, 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 an actor. He played a role in uh, the movie Around About Midnight, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: He was in that. I remember that.
0: Yeah. All right, man. Uh, Let's keep moving. I know uh, we're we're going a little longer, but... uh, it's a lot of popular songs, man, and, and we can't cover it all, but we want to make sure we you get a good, a good flavor of some of the jazz versions of popular songs, and we got to play him, this guy, this next guy. And this is from the Roundabout Midnight album, uh, Miles Davis, uh, on a piece that was released in 1957, uh, Bye Bye Birdie which was a very popular song and became a very popular jazz standard. Miles Davis, Bye Bye Birdie, with John Coltrane, Red Garling, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones. <laughs>
3: (音楽) .
0: Miles Davis on the popular song Bye Bye Birdie. That was a song that was from a musical called Peter Kelly's Blues in 1955 and actually Peggy Lee sang the, uh, sung the song. Uh, But that had Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane on uh, tennis sax, Red Garling on piano, Paul Chambers on bass and Philly Joe Jones on the drums. I I know you like that piece. Yeah, that was
1: beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Bows could do no wrong with that.
0: Nah, I know, I know. Well, folks, you know, we're going a little over, but this is the last song, and I I had to put her in it, man, because you talk about jazz versions of popular songs, you just can't get away from Ella, Ella Fitzgerald. And um, she does a wonderful rendition of this song, Summertime. So this is our last song, so sit back and enjoy. Ella at her best. First Lady of Song, is that her nickname? Maybe so.
4: Maybe so.
2: Summertime Jumping.
0: i let you take that one, brother.
1: My god, she is so beautiful. She is so beautiful with that song. Uh, oh, my god. She goes up and down, but it is beautiful the way that she comes across. There's nobody that that can match that uh song. A lot of people attempted to, but not a lot of people are able to get to even close to the sound that she that comes out of her. I was like, "Oh, that's really good. That was really good today." Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, brother, it's past that time, but what the heck? Sometimes you just got to do that, man. Yep. Larry, as always, man, thanks for being here. Thanks for yeah. being here. Yeah, and I, I think that we, we did some good justice to jazz versions of popular songs. And uh, thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And as always, until the next time, folks... Peace and love.
4: Such a funny thing, but every time you're near me, I never can behave. You give me a smile and then I'm wrapped up in your magic. There's music all around me, crazy music, music that keeps calling me so. Very close to you, turns me your slave. Come and do with me. Any little thing you want to anything, baby, just let me get next to you. Am I insane or do I really see heaven in your eyes? Bright as stars that shine up above you in the clear blue skies. How I worry about you, just can't live my life without you, baby, come here. Don't have no fear, oh, is there a wonder why? really feeling in the mood for love. So tell me why stop to think about this weather my dear. This little dream might fade away. There I go a-talking out of my head again. Oh baby, won't you come and put our two hearts together? That would make me strong and real. Ooh. One. I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid
2: If there's a crowd up
4: above us Go on and let it rain I'm sure our love together will endure a hurricane Oh, my thing! Won't you please let me love you And give me relief from this awful misery What is
2: all this song of me? My sweet, I am not
4: afraid
2: Not anymore, not like before, don't you understand me, now baby please.
4: state of mind. I'm so tired of being without and never knowing what love's about. James Woody, you can come on in,
3: man, and you can blow now if you want to. we